there and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. We began uh, to speak about calling before We Are One Conference. You may remember we spoke about the, the kind of two foundation scriptures really of, of all Christian calling. We talked about the great command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And we spoke about the, the idea of the great commission, that we're called to go into the world and to make disciples. And Esther spoke just brilliantly about that. In fact, you know, I, I feel she's got a, a great gift. So thank you for that word, Esther. Um, really, really good. Oh, yeah, I know. She should be. Um, really, really great message. And so those two kind of like foundations really uh, apply to everybody. And the message I'm about to bring today also applies to everybody, but it's kind of like the next layer, if you like, okay? So we've got our kind of foundation stones in place. Love God, love your neighbor, and go into all the world, okay? But then how do we do this? And this is kind of the next layer. Uh, but this is also a, a general sense in which this applies to all of us, this message. Um, so the more you speak, think about calling and the more we speak about calling, uh, I know what's going on in my mind. It may be going on in your mind. It, it, it can quite quickly get to, what about, what's my part to play? You know, get really, really focused on me. A- and God will get you there. God will give you specific things that only you have the capacity to do or only you have the resources to do or only you have the opportunity to do. It will get specific at times. But more often than not, calling is very general. It's for all of us. And then there are occasions when God goes, I just need you to do this now. Or it may be the fact that God comes to you and goes, this is actually your kind of life calling. So for me, uh, just talking, can I tell you my own story? Uh, I, when I began here at One Church, well, it wasn't called One Church at the time, it was called the Kingsway Church. Here, Actually, even just before that, it was the Cabra Heath Pentecostal Church, which is a lovely old-fashioned name. And uh, when I first began coming, and I was going, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I just did everything. I got involved in everything. And we were talking about this a little bit at Teams Night on Tuesday. Uh, I was on the drums. I played the piano. I sang. I did kids' work. I did youth work. I'd I'd do anything and everything that was there to do. And I loved it all. And I couldn't choose. I couldn't choose. You could choose. You could tell me not to sing. But uh, I could... (laughs) I, I, I was enjoying it. I was, I was, Liam did many times. And I, I just kept coming back for more. <laughs> and, and it was a sense in which I, I surveyed the, all the things I could possibly do in and through the church and all the works that we were doing in the community. And I literally felt like I was enthusiastic about them all, which is a lovely spirit. I think there's a lovely heart to have. Um, but gradually over time, it's like God has funneled me towards the things that, um, are for me to do. And that isn't to say that I can and shouldn't serve and support all of those other things. But there are certain things that God's gone, yeah, but that's like for Mike to do. And it, it kind of was um, a, a bit of a vision that I had, really, a picture that I had in, in prayer that helped me come to that, to, to almost like a, a sense in which my calling was specific to me. And the picture I had was, of Jesus coming to me. And do you remember, well, you may not know this, but there are some Bibles that are huge. 
right? Particularly old-fashioned Bibles. But I was thinking of the one in, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in Wesley's Chapel in town. If you go to Wesley's Chapel, it's a museum now, but it's where John Wesley preached, okay? It's like an old church chapel. And at the front of that church chapel is a Bible that I, I kid you not, is nearly the size of our stage. It's a big Bible. It's huge. And this was the picture I had, that Jesus came to me with that, a huge Bible and just placed it in my hands. And that was it. That was the picture. But I knew what he was saying to me. Teach it. So, I've come from, I'll be at everything and do everything. And, and I still want to be. But I know that, that that's what God's asking of me. You see? So I've gone on a journey, and it's taken, that journey has been 25 years of figuring out what God has specifically called me to do. But just because I know what I think God has specifically called me to do doesn't mean I don't do all of those other things as well. It's like a pyramid. It's built on top of all of those things, yeah? So don't be too worried about, oh, I'm not sure what exactly God wants me to do right now. Uh, okay, because God will make it clear to you when he wants you to act and when he wants you to move. Until such a point as God gives us a real specific thing, then all the general things apply. Does that make sense? All the, all the general things. And this is another general one. Okay, so that's just to kind of set up what I'm about to tell you this morning. We're going to go to um, Matthew 25 in a moment. But, but what I want to say is this, is calling has legs. Calling has legs. In other words... Calling isn't just up here in our mind, it's a, it's, it's a series of actions in obedience to God. I remember I used to work at a warehouse in St. Philip's when I was younger, when I was like maybe 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. And I worked in this warehouse and we had this little prank we used to play on each other. It's silly, silly, but at the time it was hilarious. And the prank was this, it was a massive warehouse. And I used to shout to a friend who was on the other side of the warehouse, you know, say his name was Bob. Bob, come here, come here. And he'd make his way across the warehouse, around all the boxes, around all the pallets, around all the things. And he'd finally get to me, having walked all that distance. And then I would just say, all right? <laughs> and he'd go, oh, you idiot, you know. And we used to do it to each other. And, and the more we did it, almost the more funny it got. Because <laughs> you never quite knew if you actually needed or not. And so we'd just do this. It was an empty calling, okay? But your calling as a Christian is not empty. It's not devoid of actions. There's something God is saying, I want you, and I want you for something. I want you for this. Does that make sense? It's not an empty calling. There's stuff. And, and this is where we're going to get quite practical today. So this passage is actually really, really practical. I've realized I've sat in front of it. So I'm just going <laughs> to move here for a moment while we do this. Okay, let's read this passage. Uh, Matthew 25, 31, 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, when, not if, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus Christ, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, just, I'm, this is not a bit, big part of my talk, but I just want to mention a couple of things about this. This is speaking about a real event, a real time in the future when Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, 
will stand as Lord above all the nations. But then look what it says. As they're gathered before him, he'll separate the people one from another. So while all the nations, billions of people will stand before him, he's still intensely personal. One from another. He knows you. And he knows the person next to you. And he knows the person next to that. One from another among billions. This isn't, right, everybody with yellow on, you're over there. Everybody with red, you're over there. This is, I know you. I know your life. I know what you've done. I know what you didn't do. I know you personally. And what I'm about to do is a reflection of the you that I know. Now, that's wonderful and scary all at the same time. Okay, let's carry on. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Well, there's loads in there, isn't there? Since the creation of the world, like God's been on this, working towards this day from the first day when he said, let there be light from that day till that day. This is what's been in God's mind, in his heart, in his plan. That's, that's powerful. God's been working towards a day when we, those blessed by the Father, will be able to take our inheritance and live in this kingdom of light that he's been preparing us for. And then he attaches it to this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. These are very real actions, are they not? Real actions, real things that Jesus has seen in the sheep, in the lives of those blessed by the Father. He is looking at their lives and going, you did these things. Now, now let's look at the next part. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's worth reflecting on. So there, there's a sort of uh, a, a literary thing happening here that's quite common in the Hebrew language where they would, they would make it quite literal. But Jesus is saying, every act of kindness that you did for the least, it was as if you were doing it for me. It was as if I was the recipient of your kindness. Every single one, it was as if it was for me. That's wonderful. It's as if it was for me. Okay, next one. Then he will say to those on his left. You can see the parallelism here in the story, okay? Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Not for people. It wasn't prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. 
For I was hungry. Here we go. He gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. He gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. And you did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. And you did not look after me. Next slide. They will also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wow. These are Jesus' words. This is Jesus telling this story. Okay, and he's given a picture of true events that will happen. But what I find really interesting about this is he really grounds it in real actions. He's saying kindness makes a huge, huge difference. And your kindness to the least of these, I see as your kindness to me. And it. It's in some way, he's elevating those things to a place where he's saying that's the difference between people that know me and the people that don't. Wow. Now, we could go into this, and I'm not going to because it will take far too long to answer it. Maybe it's for another day. But even people that don't know Jesus can be kind. But that doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Okay, because the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way to heaven through belief in him, through faith in him. But what I think this is saying is that the evidence of that, the evidence of faith will definitely be kindness to the least of these. The evidence of true faith is is action. Your calling has legs. It is a series of actions that follow calling. If you are a Christian and you love the Lord of God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you believe in the Great Commission, then you will go and serve the least of these. It kind of naturally follows on. You see, it builds from the foundation up. It's a calling for all Christians. Uh, every Christian is called to this. This is a lifestyle now of kindness that Jesus is looking for and that he rewards us for. Christians are to be the guardians of the needy in the world because God cares for the needy in the world. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and it looks like kindness, standing up for the weak, giving to the poor, encouraging the downhearted, sharing what we are given. We have a way of doing that in church and uh, Esther's called it Project 317 after this Bible verse that's not going to come up on the screen because I only thought of it this morning, but we're going to read it anyway. <laughs> Here we go. This is 1 John chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Where's the evidence of their faith? 
Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Calling has legs. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, actually, I don't need to read any more on that, I don't think. That will do. So, the passage that Esther used as a foundational verse for the work that we do in the community, which covers Cresh and carry, it covers the school bags, it covers Jolly Holly Fair, uh, anything that we're doing that's meeting the needs of people was built off of that verse. If anyone sees somebody in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Yeah? And the love of God is here. So what, how do we respond to the love of God? Well, we love the people that are in need in our community. And the really good thing about church is this. When we pool our resources together, every time you give into the offering, what's, what's happening there is we can do more together than we can do on our own. That isn't to say that what you do for charity and what you do for people in need on your own isn't important, because it is. But there's something about collective giving means we can just do that bit more, that bit bigger. Does that make sense? So if I could give you some practical guidance on giving, it would be this. Firstly, only give what you can. Don't give yourself into debt. Secondly, give to God first, which is the church, because together we can do more than we can do on our own. Thirdly, if you find yourself in a position and a capacity to be able to give even more beyond that, by all means, go ahead and do so. Does that make sense? Uh, there was a season of my life where I, I had the capacity, because uh, I wasn't married, <laughs> funnily enough, I had the capacity, <laughs> uh, I had the capacity to give more, I did, but then, then perhaps I currently can, because I'm married, and uh, I have a child, but no, I, I, I decided, because I was so moved to, beyond my, the, the, the giving that I did to the church, to sponsor a child through the charity, very popular charity called Compassion. Compassion um, hooks up people in, you know, that can with, with children that are in poverty around the world. And so for a period, from uh, there was a little lad called Jose, lives in Ecuador. And for the age of six to the age of about 17, I sponsored him because I felt I could. I had the capacity to do it. I felt moved to do it, and I felt I should do it. And the money that I was able to sponsor that lad for that period of time, put him in school, gave him an education, gave him health care, supported his family. Every year he got Christmas presents and birthday presents, and he was able to be part of a local church because, because of a little sponsorship money that for me wasn't much, but for him was a lot. For that period of time, I felt moved to do that. I can't do it all the time, but these are the judgments we have to make. If I'm going to be somebody that wants to look after the least of these, what can I do? And then get strategic about it. Because what we're trying to guard against is there are people, there are, there are always going to be needs, and there are always adverts on TV, and there are tons of charities, and before you know it, I'm giving £2 to them, £3 to them, £4 to them, £1 to them, and I'm getting dragged this way and that way, and I can't say no to anything. And suddenly, I, I'm actually putting myself under pressure financially because I, I can't cope with all the needs in the world. It's better to, if you have capacity, pick one thing and stick with it and be strategic. I think. 
that's my, my revelation for me. I'm not giving you this as a command from God. I'm just saying, don't get dragged into this, that, and everything. Support your church. And then if you have capacity, pick something, get behind it, and support it over a period of time. And you'll have more effect than you will by just scattering it here, there, and everywhere, not really sure. Does that make sense? But that's what I decided to do. I'm not doing that at the moment. Jose's now grown up. I've actually never met him because he lives in Ecuador. <laughs> but one day, I, I pray, one day I'll sit with, with, with Jose, having made a little difference in his life, having never met him. That would be a good day, wouldn't it? But here's, that's the flip side of this. It brings us great joy when we do what the Bible says. It really does. Now, I need to think, well, what can I be doing today? I, I might not be at the capacity to be able to do what I did then, but what can I do today and how do I do that? That's a good thing for us to be thinking about how we do it. Oftentimes, I've struggled with it as well because I've thought I haven't, I haven't got anything. I haven't got enough or... Maybe one day, if I'm this guy, Jeff Bezos, let's put, put the next screen up for me. Maybe, maybe if I'm him, then, then I'll be able to do it. Do you know who he is? He's the richest man in the world. There you go. He owns Amazon. Okay? And I know why he's the richest man in the world, because my wife's on that all the time. <laughs> right? We might as well have a conveyor belt coming directly into our house from Amazon, such as the amount of parcels that we receive from him. So, so I think my wife has made him rich. Here we go. She's, I can talk about it. She, she's in the other room, but she knows. We, <laughs> we, we, we do laugh about this all the time. Every time another Amazon parcel comes, I'm like. Maybe I could be him. Maybe when I'm a billionaire. Or maybe when I'm the next guy. Maybe if I was him. I mean, there's a guy not short of a few bob. There's a guy who can, can help. It's a very Bristolian saying that, wasn't it? Short of a few bob. There you go. Or maybe if, I'm, maybe if I'm this guy. Next one. There you go. There's another one. Elon Musk, owner of many, many companies, but probably most uh, notably Tesla, the car company. And sometimes you can get into that trap of thinking, there'll come a time in my life when I've got enough. Then I'll, then I'll be able to help. Then I'll be able to do something worthwhile. Then I'll be able to do something that matters. But I want to remind you that it isn't the amount that is important to God. It's the heart. You remember the widow when Jesus pointed out to the disciples? She gave her last, her last mite, her widow's mite, the last coin. And Jesus went, that's incredible faith. And it was the tiniest. But she gave it. Because it's not the amount that we give that matters to God. It's not the capacity. It's the heart, the willingness, even in the little. Paul honored the Macedonian church to the Corinthian church. He said, Corinthian church, you need to be more like the Macedonian church. Why? Because you've got plenty and you're tight-fisted. They've got nothing and they're giving like crazy. It wasn't the amount that mattered. It was just that they had a heart and a willingness to meet need. And if you've got a heart and willingness to meet a need, 
That's what it is to be a Christian. I think that's what it is to act on it, to do it. Maybe get real strategic about it and make it in part of your budget. If you have a budget, which I hope you do, if you have a budget, why don't you create a little fund in your budget, a little line in your budget that isn't phone or Wi-Fi or rent or car. It, it's a, just a, a blessing fund. And if, if, if you, even if you put a pound a week or a pound a month or five pound a month or ten pound a month into that blessing fund, when the need comes, when the offering comes, when the crisis comes, and you go, I want to give to that, you've got something there to do it with. Because you've strategically thought through how you want to structure your finances and your budget. So I, I, again, I say that to encourage you. It doesn't matter how much, but why not think about doing something? Start small. Start where you are. Think about it. Kindness isn't always financial as well. I want you to remember that. Sometimes kindness is a word. Sometimes it's an encouragement. Sometimes it's getting alongside somebody who's a bit lonely and spending some time with them. Sometimes it's just opening up your home. It, kindness can be a number of different things. So I just encourage you to think about that. We're doing Crush and Carry again soon. It's our attempt as a body, as a family, to do something for our community. We'll be doing it at Christmas again for our community. Why? Because we want to reach and meet the needs of the least of these. So God's calling to generosity is not just to the super rich. It's just a life principle for us all. And here's the benefits. Not only do the needs of the needy get met, but you get joy, you get fulfillment, and remember, it was as if that was for Jesus himself. It's quite powerful. Now, we called this series The House of Heroes because throughout this next few weeks, we're going to actually tell stories of real heroes of the Christian faith that live this stuff out. And I want to tell you the story today of a guy called George. George lived in the 1800s. In fact, it is in 1835. I'm just going to read the story to you, okay? Because I can't memorize it. In 1835, George was penniless. He lived in rented accommodation in St. Paul's in Bristol. But he felt called by God. His heart was burdened. He knew he needed to give his life to the grand cause of building the kingdom of Christ. He opened up his Bible, as he would do each day, and he read this particular day. He read Psalm chapter 81, verse 10. And little did he know that God would speak so powerfully through that one verse that morning that it would direct the rest of his life and his service to God. The words of that psalm simply said, Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. To you and me, perhaps a mundane verse with little effect of awaking our own passions, but to George, 
surrounded as he was by thousands of orphaned children begging for bread and water, it struck like a lightning bolt from heaven and his calling became crystal clear in a second. George knew that God was calling him to the helpless orphans and that God would meet his needs. As he opened the mouth, God will fill it. So George had five principles, okay, of faith that he would follow from the beginning of his calling throughout the rest of his life, and they were these five. Number one, principle number one, that was that every believer's duty and privilege is to help the cause and the work of Christ. Two, this cause should take no financial support from the world or unbelievers. Three, debts are not to be contracted or allowed for any cause in the work of the Lord. In other words, he was not going to go to people that didn't know Jesus, and he wasn't going to go to the bank and get a loan. He believed simply by faith in that passage of scripture we just read. Open thy mouth wide. And I will fill it. So he wasn't going to look to anybody else to fill the mouths of the orphans. He was just going to look to God to fill the mouths of the orphans. And he decided as a principle that was the way he was going to do it. Number four, his fourth principle was the standards of success is not to be a numerical or financial standard. And number five, all compromise of the truth or any measures that impair the testimony to God are to be avoided. Those five principles he would live by for the rest of his life. So George felt the need to be entirely independent from the help of man in order to exercise complete dependence on God. He really believed that God would fill the mouths of the orphans and what followed was a miraculous story of providence. As George shared his conviction and his passion with others, Christians from all over Bristol donated shillings, furniture, and service, often for no personal gain, believing in faith that George, along with George, that their own needs would be met by God. In 1836... George was able to rent a house in Wilson Street, St. Paul's. Can you put the picture up for me, John? There it is. And in that house, he was able to house 30 orphan girls. By 1843, he had rented three further houses on that street. And he was caring for 120 girls and boys. By 1846, just 10 years in, George had received, through the gifts and offerings of Christians across the city, the 10,000 pounds that was needed to build a new orphan home in Ashley Downs. Can you show the picture of that building? Ten years. That's still there today. 
George's principles would serve him well. He would often pray, and quite miraculously, the Lord would provide. On one occasion, he found himself with 300 orphans assembled for breakfast, and yet they had no food at all. He simply sat them all down at the table, and he confidently said, grace. At this point, a knock at the door occurred. It was a local baker who had woken up at two o'clock in the morning with a feeling that he needed to bake more bread than usual and take it down to the orphanage. Shortly afterwards, a milkman arrived to say that his wagon had broken down outside the orphanage and he wanted to offer his milk to the children or else it would go off. Over decades, his ever-expanding work often ran on a hand-to-mouth basis, but it never ran into debt. God filled the mouths that George opened. Over the next 60 years, George would go on to purchase and open five large orphan houses. Over 60 years, he housed 10,000 orphans. He established 117 schools. He received almost one million pounds in gifts, which, get this right, on today's money is the equivalent of a hundred million pounds. And beyond Bristol, on his missionary trips, he aided schools around the world touching the lives of 150,000 children. He circulated nearly 2 million Bibles and 3 million tracts. He spent a quarter of a million pounds supporting other missionaries. What God gave to George, George gave away. George Muller of Muller Road died in 1898 at the age of 92 years. Bristol came to a standstill for his funeral with shops and factories closing as a mark of respect. Here's the picture of his funeral. This is the center. Just one man just believed that kindness and God could meet a need. And he didn't wait until he was rich. He was penniless. But he believed on God. And he lived a life for the least of these. I reckon you'll be one of those guys on the last day that Jesus says, what you did for the orphans of Bristol, you did for me. So, that's the calling for all of us. We're not all going to be George Miller, but the little that you do, the kindness that you show, every time, and, and listen, Kelly walked through the door this morning with bags of nappies 
for Crash and Carry. That was significant. That's what this is. That's putting legs on calling. It's actions of obedience to God that said, look, God, I don't know what I can do, but I can get a na- I can go up Asda and get an extra bag of nappies. I can do my bit. I can play my part. I can offer my time. I can serve. And I can make a difference. And I'll finish with this one story. It was a story that was significant for me in my own calling. It's a famous story of a man who was walking along a beach one day. And there had been a storm the previous night. And the storm had washed up onto the beach lots of starfish. And the man saw a child picking up the starfish and throwing them back into the sea. And the man said to the child, what, what, are, you doing? You'll never, you'll, what are you doing that for? There's so many, you'll, you'll never make a difference. It's, it's just thousands of them. And the child picked up another starfish and he threw it into the sea and he said, but I made a difference to that one. And I want to encourage you. We can't solve all the world's problems. Not one church Bristol. We can just about help solve a few problems on the estate. But live to make a difference. For the least of these. Knowing that as you do, you're doing it for him. And I reckon... God will take what the little that we do and multiply it beyond our wildest imagination and you will be absolutely stunned on the last day at how much of a difference your kindness made in the world. Jesus said it this way, you are the light of the world. Don't cover it with a lamp. Let it shine for all to see. That is the characteristic life of a Christian. It's not how we become a Christian, but it is how we live as a Christian. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, soften our hard hearts that we may become movable, full of the compassion of Christ in a needy world. Help us to see where we have opportunities to meet a need and make a difference. Help us to live lives that are shaped by kindness, generosity, both at home and in this community and where we have opportunity in our world. Let the light of Jesus shine through this place, through this church, through these people. That we would be excited for that day, the last day, where we stand before you, Lord, and you say over us, well done, good and faithful servant. I saw that that act. I saw that kindness. 
I saw you meet that need. You were meeting my need. Jesus, we worship you. We love you. We thank you for what you did through people like George Muller in our own city. We recognize this is our turn now, our generation, to do our part. And we will. We will go where you send us. We're going to sing you're worthy of it all just one more time before we bring our service to a close this morning. And we're going to just lift up the name of Jesus who has called all of us to this wonderful life of difference making. Come on, let's stand.